Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. No, and, and I think this is, this is the important thing that always surprises me in football. So you guys are obviously intelligent and understand footballers better than normal people because you get to, to speak to them more often. So even what you've just said there, it will blow your mind how many people wouldn't have thought like that. Like so many people just think, oh, well, if that's what they're saying, then it's true, um, which is just crazy. But no, you're absolutely right. That There was a lot going on. It's, um, it's a situation I've not actually spoken about yet um, publicly, really, or, or internally, really. Um, Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Beautiful Game Podcast. I'm your host Dot and I'm joined with my right hand man Dej. What are you saying to me brother? I'm good bro. This this episode has been a long time in coming but obviously I think this is the perfect time to talk to our, to our next guest because there's a lot to speak about and he's someone that I rate very very highly so looking forward to this one man. No definitely it's been one that's been in the works for a very long time but before we introduce our guests i just want to plug the socials follow our twitter at podcast underscore tbg our tiktok at tbg pod and our instagram at pod underscore tbg as you know we're trying to take the platform to the next level we need your support we need you you guys to like the video subscribe to the channel and leave a comment because that helps the channel grow and the bigger the channel gets the more guests we can get onto the platform, like the one that we have today. So we are delighted to announce, he's smiling, we're <laughs> smiling, um, <laughs> Rangers midfielder slash attacker, Todd Cantwell to the platform. Welcome, 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 welcome. <laughs> thank bro. you guys, thank you, thank you. That was a good welcome, I'm happy with that. Oh, no worries, my bro, how you doing? Yeah, man, I'm good. I'm good. Obviously, um, injured at the moment, which is which is difficult, but it's all part and parcel. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, feeling good. Feeling good. Yeah, we're gonna go through your career, then obviously we're gonna work our way back to this current moment. And so, first of all, man, how are you feeling? Yeah, no, I'm feeling okay. Um, I had a bit of a a bit of a technical injury, um, unfortunately, against Celtic about four or five weeks ago. Now, um, I've been struggling a little bit with it. Um, but I'm on the right tracks now, so hopefully it won't be too long before I can get back out there and, and start enjoying myself again. Nah, man, that's great to hear, bro. So let's probably take things back to the beginning. Um, how how did your journey start in the beautiful game? Yeah, um, my journey started, I started playing football when I was around four years old. Um, I had an older brother uh, who's four years older than me, so... I was out in the back garden with him, um, 
to try and get the ball off him. Obviously, he was quite a bit bigger, so um, sort of started started very innocently. And then, you know what? Honestly, sounds very uh, uh, cliche, but you know, I fell in love with football from that age. Uh, I remember being five years old playing in under eight tournaments, which wasn't supposed to be allowed to happen, but obviously, luckily, people let me in. Um, and then, yeah, the academy were onto me. Norwich Academy, that is, were onto me from from like nine years old, really. Um, my brother was actually in the Norwich Academy at the time uh, and my family, my mum and dad, were quite keen on me staying local football, enjoying myself. Um, the time will come when, you know, it's the right thing to take you in. Um, and yeah, I joined when I was under 11. So since then, I was uh, I was a Norwich Academy player. What, so growing up, uh, I know Norwich was sort of like your local team because you grew up in like Durham. Were you like a Norwich City supporter? Yeah. Uh, do you know what? No, no, I wasn't. I can't lie to you guys. Um, I obviously always followed Norwich. Um, my mum was from was from Norfolk, so some side of my family were obviously Norwich admirers. Um, but my family's deep rooted Arsenal, you know. Okay. Um, if that yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's Arsenal. So um, so yeah, no, it was it was always a mix between Norwich and Arsenal, really. Okay. So obviously, like everyone has that moment when they realise, listen, poof, I'm, I'm doing stuff like I've got a potential future in the game. So when did that moment actually like trigger for you? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, I would say the moment for me uh, where I realised that maybe what I had was going to take me to a place was um, obviously at Norwich, we, we had a good academy. So we we always were lucky enough to play against, you know, the top teams, um, you know, Tottenham's, Arsenal's, Man United. So I remember we played Tottenham um, at home um, at the training ground. I remember we beat them quite convincingly, um, you know, it's like under 12s or something like that, you know, so it's, it's um, obviously it's not what I would call proper football. I don't think it was 11 aside, but I remember just scoring like seven or eight goals. Wow. Um, and obviously that's still, that's still quite ridiculous, even at that age. Um, and I remember dribbling past the goalie, uh, getting on my knees and tapping him with my head. Um, <laughs> and I got I got sub I got sub off straight away, right? So the academy manager at the time calls me over and says, "Listen, you like quite quite like openly to like everyone. You can't do that. It's disrespectful. I hate this. Don't do that. Bloody blah." Um, kept kept me off the pitch. Uh, I sort of left it. I felt almost a little bit like I shouldn't have done it in myself. Do you know what I mean? By the time I was just enjoying myself. And then my manager came over with the academy manager after and said, we absolutely loved it, but we had to seem like we were being respectful to okay. the other team because it is deemed, because it is deemed as disrespectful. But yeah. the uh, the bit behind it was my, my coach at the time had said that I don't header the ball enough. Um, so obviously I had the opportunity when I got around and I thought, right, that's a header goal. <laughs> no, that's a funny story. So like, when was the ages where you started thinking, you know what? I'm getting close to my dream. First team is actually a realistic possibility. Um, do you know what? I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I don't think I really hit that until I was in the under 18s. Um, I was really quite small. Uh, I had quite a late and sudden development in terms of height, physicality. Um, and I hit a bit of a ugly duckling, dangly stage when I was about 15 where my body just didn't feel in sync with kind of the way I'd always played. I was always a, a small kind of technical, you know, you could foul him, but you're not getting the ball off him. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. always that player. And I turned into someone that stretched out a little bit and was a little bit, um, I'd say, baggy with my touches. Like my first touch would probably be my best thing, I would say, was my first touch. And 
I lost that a little bit. I looked like I couldn't move properly. And I lost touch with it a little bit, you know. There was um, a bit of 16, 17 where I thought, you know what, I might not be, I might not make this next jump because I was always respected very highly around the academies. Um, Arsenal had inquired about me when I was younger. Obviously, at the time when I was in the academy, um, Stoke were after. Um, we'd played in an international tournament and Villarreal had rang the club. So I was always well-respected in my age group around the country. Um, but it stopped a little bit and I was a little bit concerned, I'll be honest. But, you know, when I hit under 18s football at 17, I think that's when I, I really kicked on again. Um, I was playing under 23s football at 17, um, training with the first team. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to bridge it because there's this thing when you first train with a first team, it's weird because obviously now I'm a first team player. I see it, but you instantly have respect for that player or you don't, a young guy. Do you either think, yeah, yeah he's got off yeah, a bit yeah, or he hasn't? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And I think the reaction I had from quite a lot of senior boys was he's got a bit. So I think that's when I knew. I just want to just scroll back. Obviously, you said that um, whilst you're at Norwich, you know, quite a few clubs are interested in you. And one that that sprung to my mind was Arsenal. So like, in terms of like that interest, was it like concrete? Did they say, listen, we want to take you from Norwich, we want to bring you to London? Like, how was that sort of conversation with Arsenal? Was there any conversation with Arsenal? Yeah, so it was, it was, um, we had just started to do really well in the Youth Cup. Um, and obviously Norwich have quite a good history in the Youth Cup. So I think they always draw a little bit of attention with that. Um, and like I say, obviously I played against Arsenal multiple times as a young boy and, you know, I always enjoyed it a little bit more than everyone else or tried a little bit more because obviously it was the team that I loved. So, um, so yeah, no, I, uh, like I say, I was training with the 18s, playing with the 18s, playing with the 23s, training with the first team. Uh, we started the cup run, um, and my back was killing me. I was like, you know, I said to you guys about like the stretching and all of that. Like, I feel like I grew quite suddenly. Basically the load was too much. Um, so I pulled myself out, the physios pulled me out and I had a stress fracture in my back at 17. Um, I had 70% completion on my right side and 50% on my left side. Um, and I actually was sidelined for nine months. Um, wow. And it was after I was sidelined for nine months, like as the injury happened, they were like, they were coming to watch your next game. They've spoken okay. to the club, they've spoken to the academy manager. Um, my agent knew about it but didn't want to tell me because we then had the quarterfinal of the FA Youth Cup. So it was like, I knew about it after and then they said, we'll see how he is when he's back. And it, it killed me, man. Absolutely uh, killed me. So even talking about that, like, speak to us about injuries because I think that's a big part of being an athlete. Sort of like, mentally, it can be tough. Like you're being restricted from doing your trade. And obviously, like you're watching your teammates training, playing games. So it can feel like everyone's progressing and your career is like kind of stalling. So, like when you're going through that process, like how is it? Yeah, it is honestly. I mean, I won't be the first footballer, and I won't be the last to say it's so difficult mentally because you can't really explain how it feels unless you've been a footballer yourself. Because exactly what you said, really, you see how you you feel like people are progressing around you, and in some situations, people are not progressing around you, and the team's not doing well, and that hurts. You know, more senior way that hurts more. Um, obviously as an academy player it just feels like time that you're missing out on getting better if I'm being honest and when I look back at that spell um, because I actually had that spell out with my back and then had a reoccurrence with it as well so I missed a good at least a year worth of development at that age which is kind of really important and I think when I look now at sort of like the young lads that come through into a first team and 
you think, wow, he's 17, 18. I do have that that feeling of could that have been me if I didn't have that. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, everything happens for a reason, and Everyone's you know, I feel like maybe I had well. that injury, yeah. so yeah, hundred percent. And you know, maybe I had that injury, so I didn't have a worse one. I think that's the only way you can really look at it. Hundred percent. So obviously, you come back from that injury. Um, obviously, you said you're training with the first team. You make your first team debut. How was that moment? Yeah, it was amazing. It was at Stamford Bridge, my first team debut um, in the FA Cup. We were we were losing one nil, and um, the gaffer gave me the nod with about ten minutes to go. Uh, I'd been training with the first team. I'd been close to coming on in the league, um, and uh, yeah, I came on. And luckily, we scored in the last minute. It went to extra time, so I got some more time out there. But um, <laughs> no, it was an amazing feeling. It was an amazing feeling. Um, you know that Chelsea team we were playing against: Hazard, Pedro, David Luiz, Willian. You know, um, Kante, like you know, proper prime Chelsea. It was a, it was a good Chelsea team. Um, so it it just honestly felt so surreal, so so surreal. Um, but as soon as I got that taste, I was like, nah, this is this is it. Like I've made it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, how does your life change after making that debut? Does things change? Because normally we see sort of stars come from nowhere. Then they talk about you know the pressures that come with that. Did you feel that initial pressure or? Was it just back to, I don't know, training with the first team then? How was it? Do you know what? I think because I did reasonably well in that, I think after that game, I went from someone that was always the academy prospect at Norwich to this kid could have a future here. And I felt a change in my management, but also my respect externally. Um, because I think footballers, ex-footballers, current footballers, they can always see a footballer when they watch it. Do you know what I mean? I watch a game of football and I think, you know, for example, Martin Odegaard, just as an example, came to me. Do you watch him? You just think he's a beautiful footballer. Yeah, so yeah. footballers do that as well. It's yeah. not just fans that do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think I, was, I got an array of messages from lots of different people after that game. Um, the manager pulled me into his office and said, I put you on because I trusted you. It wasn't a gift. It was it was trust. And you repaid me. Um, and all of a sudden, everything felt real. Do you know what I mean? It felt like this is now, you know, build forward now. And how how did your family receive you making your debut? What was the conversation when you got home? Yeah, it was a uh, it was just an a, enormous amount of pr- uh, like proudness. I would say like they were just I think my mum especially quite an emotional person when it comes to achievements and obviously watching me the whole the whole journey. So you know I just remember everyone being so overwhelmed and you know the way to do it as well because obviously we were a championship side you know, to, to play against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Um, you know, as far as debuts go, there's not many better places in the situation that I was in that I could have got in that situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it beats it beats playing Bristol as a, as a derby or someone like that, do you know what I mean, in a yeah. home game. It just, it was just, it was just a spectacle together. And because we did well as well, you know, everyone wrote Norwich off in that in that tie. Um, and we, we obviously took them to extra time and unfortunately lost on penalties, but, it was, uh, yeah, it, the family were immensely proud. Mm, so as you mentioned, you were in the championship that time and that season obviously ended in promotion and you sort of make your way to the Prem. So what's the feeling knowing that you're going to be in the championship, then you're moving to the Prem, like playing in all of these stadiums like the Emirates, Anfield, Old Trafford? Yeah, no. So just just when I made my debut, it was actually... Um, it was actually leading up to Christmas, and that that season, I um I ended up going out on loan to to Holland. Mm-hmm. So I went um 
I went to Holland for the end of that season and it was the following season we then got promoted. Yeah. So I had a little taste of first team football solidly. You know, I then got a promotion out in Holland, which was obviously an achievement. And then we came back for that that season. And like you say, you know, we we were quite comfortable in that championship season. It felt, you know, for me, like I was very much on the verge of being that player that would play every week. Um, and then, like you say, we hit the Premier League and, you know, I think I played 38 games that season. Yeah. So it was like, you know, I went from almost a bit of a fringy talent, you know, oh, he looks good, you know, and then it was all of a sudden this is his spot. So, yeah, like you say, you know, weighing up the opportunity. Um, I was on holiday at the time when they said your first game of season is Liverpool away and they had just won the Champions League and it was like, right, this is it. And I actually said to myself, I said to my family as well, I was like, look, I'm going to not think about this game in any way other than it's just a game of football. And I actually said to my mum, I said, and you know what, if my legs go to jelly, if I crumble, <laughs> if I fall apart, like it's not for me. Do you know what I mean? Then I just know it's not for me. But if I go out there and I block it all and I play and I play okay, then this is me. And luckily it went it went the second way. You know what's funny? I'll always remember that game because I remember we're in the group chat and we're all like, who is this number 14? Because you had a good game. <laughs> I remember you were causing some pro- I know we won in the I end. I think it was like 4-3 or 3-2. 4-1 maybe. maybe I think it was 4-1, yeah. I remember it was 4-1, but you left an impression that like, mm, this kid, I'm going to keep an eye on him. I think he's got a bright future. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, it was. Um, we started the game really well, actually, in that game. But then it just the quality. I think that was the eye opener. It's like, wow, you know, you give away a chance in the championship, they might score, they might not. You give it away to Mo Salah, and it's a goal. Yeah. So in terms of like, you come to the Premier League. Like, what was the mindset in terms of the thinking? Like, do we just go out here? We attack. We keep the same philosophy. Because when I watched Norwich play, there was a sort of refreshing nature that they're coming here to attack. So what was the mindset from the gaffer? Oh, the gaffer was was crystal clear about after we got promoted, obviously. Um, we got promoted quite comfortably-ish. We were top of the, you know, we won the title and whatever. And the manager just said to us, you know, first day of pre-season, we don't change a thing that we do. We play the same way. We attack the same way. We defend the same way. The only thing that needs to change is our intensity and our quality. But our our style of play, our philosophy, if you like, it stays exactly the same. And do you know what? The lads loved that because it showed that, you know, he had a belief in us before a ball was even kicked. You know, he said the targets to stay up, I believe we can achieve better than that. Um, I think in the end of that season, I think it became our downfall because we didn't have a second plan. And I think teams like, Burnley, Crystal Palace, obviously Newcastle at the time, teams that you, you would expect to maybe get points off if you want to stay up, had sussed us out. And obviously experienced Premier League teams, um, you know, would go 2-0 no up in a game and just shut the doors on you. Um, and I think that's where that became our downfall as well. Yeah, because when I watch you play, you're very expressive. You're very sort of like a throwback. I think in the modern game, it's sort of like that instinctive nature sort of being coached out of players. And... I don't know, I see you as a number 10, you know, like a James Madison, a Jack Grealish, someone in that mould. Like, is that the way you see yourself? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Obviously, I made my, my trade really at Norwich campaign as like a false winger, um, as a left midfielder, which was the way that the way that Daniel Farker wanted us to play. Our number 10 at the time was very much a second striker. Um, and he obviously had 
a German lad in there that he was pretty comfortable with and he put me and Wendy as like the false wingers. That was a position that I really enjoyed. But for me, my best position, especially through the youth, was always as a number 10. I just feel like it's the closest I can be to the goal um, and still be able to have that that tendency to drop a little bit and make sure you're ticking. And um, I think that is a position that died for a little little period of my career so far. And I think it's now starting to come back. So, you know, I'm hoping that, that that can be my position for the rest of my career for sure. Mm, I read a story saying that basically once James Madison left Norwich to obviously go to Leicester, you sort of knocked on the gaffer's door and said, listen, don't worry, no problem. You don't need to obviously spend money. I can take that void and I'm ready to take that pressure. Is that true? Um, it's manipulated a little bit because I didn't knock on the gaffer's door. The gaffer actually pulled me and sort of said something very similar, which was... Uh, I'm not going to go and buy someone like you. I'm going to give you a chance. And if you don't take that chance, obviously I'd been on loan and that was the start of that season. So he'd seen that I could do it professionally. And he said, you know, I'm going to give you that chance. Um, and obviously Norwich at the time were, were doing a good job of bringing young lads through. So it was like, right, you're the next one that's coming through. I'm going to give you a chance. So um, it wasn't as confident as maybe that the first message sounds, but I kind of like that, you know, me just knocking on the head, come on. Come in. So the media always have to hype up the story, but moving on, I just want to quickly talk about, you know, probably the highlight of your Premier League season that season, and it was beating the champions, Man City, 3-2, and you had a sensational performance. So how was that moment? How did that feel? All the hard work in the Premier League, taking it by storm, beating the champions. How, how was that moment? Yeah, it was, it was incredible. It's something I'll probably have forever because I've never heard Carroll's probably not got the, the biggest reputation for, for an atmosphere. But honestly, the atmosphere that day was immense. Um, they reacted to what they saw on the pitch. And, you know, we, we had a few injuries at the time. I think we had a bit of a patched up team ourselves. And it was like, you're playing against the champions. It's going to be a cricket score. Um, and honestly, the way we played was just no fear whatsoever. You know, we... We played exactly like I said to you, like the manager wanted us to. We played out from the back. We played, and I don't think City were expecting that. I thought they thought we would change our style. Um, and obviously, you have one of those days, nine times out of ten, you lose that game. Like, that's just a fact, just through the pure quality that they have. Um, but we were the one time, and you know what? Honestly, every single player put in such a good performance that day that I genuinely believe that if you watched that game, you would have said they deserved it. No, definitely. That was one of the highlights of the season, as Dot said. But obviously that season ended in culmination in, in relegation. And I know I think you lost maybe like 10 games in a row. Like how difficult yeah. is, is it like going game to game to game, you know, with that not that lack of confidence, knowing that you might get beat here? Is it a mindset or, or what is it? Yeah, you know what? It was, it was after the COVID break and we started back up and you're right, we lost our last 10 games and for me, that was that was the bit that really I couldn't I couldn't comprehend because it felt like after the COVID sort of outbreak and that the season started up again, if you like, for us, it was like there was a mentality difference in the changing room and I didn't like it. Um, it's something that I 100% sensed and I think a few of the other younger lads sort of sensed that some of the older boys that maybe lost, lost heart here and maybe thought this is a big ask. But actually at the point, I think we were only... I'm not obviously don't quote me, but I think it was in like three or four points from safety and there was 10 games to play. So like in the Premier League, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That doesn't mean anything. Anything can happen. Um, but yeah, we went on to lose the 10 games and that finished rock bottom. And 
you know, I just such a sinking feeling because the fans, you know, you look at Carroll Road, say the, the game we beat Man City, and then the last game of the season when there's no one there and we've just been, I think, pumped 5-0 by West Ham at home. And, you know, it was like, it then didn't feel like we got relegated. It felt like we got kicked out. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It was different. You can get relegated and sort of be like, ah, oh, fucking hell, like, you know, maybe we didn't, we didn't get the right players or, you know, injuries, whatever. But when it's, when it's 10 games in a row, and it's 5-0 at home and it's, you know, it's just at that point, you just think, you know, we really weren't nowhere near it. Um, and there was definitely a mentality change. You mentioned that you saw, I don't know, maybe some of the senior players, obviously you're a younger player at the time. So what kind of things are you seeing in the dressing room that sort of constitute to almost like giving up or going down with a whimper, you know? Yeah, no, obviously I'm, I'm not only, I'm not going to name names, but I remember one game before... Um, before a game at home it was a game that we definitely you know on paper should should try and get some points and one of the senior lads was sat on his phone watching this video of absolute nonsense like 10 minutes before we went out and I remember walking past you know when he was getting treatment thinking okay if this is him doing that now you know 10 minutes before a game what chance we got and ironically he was horrific that game um Uh. and I remember thinking to myself like of course you're going to be like, you're not in the mindset. There's no fans in the stadium. You're not feeling the same way. Um, and listen, you don't know what's going on in people's lives individually. It's not something in, in the changing talk about, you know, how do you feel for the game at the weekend? You don't really do that. You just expect everyone to be up for it. Um, but obviously we had a, a group of young lads, me, Max, Ben and Jamal, um, that were all so hungry. Do you know what I mean? And playing in this was like, this is amazing. This is still a big opportunity. And yeah, it felt different with no fans, but, for me, I remember noticing a, a mentality change in, in quite a few lads, and I think I think that's where we lost it. So, in terms of like the camp, was it a happy camp, or were there like disagreements, or like because again, when you're losing every week, no one's going to be happy. People might be pointing the finger. I don't know in training and games. Like, come on, let's try and salvage this for the fans. Were there any sort of disagreements? Yeah, there was. There was quite a few. Um, like I say, I think they've become a mini divide between sort of the young and hungry and the, the the more senior and kind of acceptant to what was happening. Um, because don't get me wrong, in some games, we generally got outclassed, but you can expect that in the Premier League. It's the best division in the world. Um, and obviously being the best team in the championship by no means gives you any sort of sort of foot up when you go into Premier League. If anything, it means nothing. You can get promoted in a championship playoff like Luton and, and pick up points or you can win the league and pick up no points. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't really make a difference. Premier League's a different animal. So um, I think that's where we, what we spoke about earlier with like the plan B and, and the bits and pieces. I think that's where some of the senior lads maybe thought, right, we should look at doing something else here. Managers are like, no, we stick to this. Young boys are like, come on, we need more. Um, older boys are probably like, young boys are too confident or too yeah. up. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just Almost the whole like thing toxic. went off. I think yeah. if you want to try and stay up, yeah. exactly. If you want to try and stay up, I think it has to literally connect and everyone has to be on the same page i just want to fast forward but very quickly i think that summer quite a few of the young players left i think ben, God- ben godfrey went to everton um jamal lewis newcastle. went to newcastle and obviously your name cropped up a lot because you made the impression in the premier league um were any clubs interested in your services at that time yeah yeah um there was a few that that was a that was a busy summer um for my phone anyway, <laughs> not, not for me. Um, no, yeah, I mean, at the time, I think 
it was probably quite common slash public knowledge that you know a few of the young boys that had done well were probably going to stay in the Premier League at different clubs. Um, and the manager actually pulled us all in at the end of that season and said, I don't want to leave. I don't want any of you to leave. I want to go down next year. I want to win the championship and I want to come straight back up. Um, obviously, we all left that, t- that, that meeting as such kind of thinking, that's what he wants, but what do the club want? Because when money comes in, it's different. We're not we're not a massive club that has, you know, lots of big offers for lots of players. So um, the sort of murmur slash rumour was there would only be two of the four allowed to go. Um, and that wasn't really including Emi Buendia because obviously he was like yeah. a year older, but yeah. obviously Emi, Emi was a fantastic player as well. But so obviously, like you say, Ben ended up leaving. Um and then Jamal obviously ended up leaving. And then that season, me, Max and Emmy ended up staying. Um, and at the start of that season, me and Emmy weren't, weren't playing. We weren't allowed to play for the first four or five games. Um, there was a lot going on behind doors, um, behind closed doors. There was, there was offers that came in for me. There was offers that came in for Emmy. Um, there was a lot of secret secrets that were flying around the football club at that point. And, you know, I don't think me, when I look at it now, was, probably didn't deal with that the way I should have in the sense of I probably should have been firmer. Um, oh, I was probably a little bit soft. To and your I probably, convictions that, listen, I want to leave for the betterment of my career kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm being honest, you know, I'd had one season really where I'd done well in the Premier League in a team that, that struggled. I didn't have that confidence to say that at that point. I wasn't in a position where I thought, right, I'm going in, I'm knocking, I'm saying, look, if this comes in, I want to leave because... I didn't feel like that was the right thing to do. And I still I still don't necessarily, in the sense of burning bridges is a bad thing to do in my head. I don't like doing that. Mm. But when I look back now, it's black and white. You know, I, sh- I should have been firmer and I should have I sh- should have made it clear to people that I didn't have an interest in staying um, because I wanted to, to develop further. It wasn't, I didn't like Norwich anymore. I didn't want to go down to Championship. I thought I was better than it or any of that. It was just, you know, I've had a taste. I loved it. I did well. And teams have recognised that. Like, part ways with me. Do you know what I mean? Let me go. Um, but it didn't It didn't manifest. You know, the club weren't, weren't willing to let me and Emmy go, really. Um, so we, we obviously had that season. Um, you know, eight goals, eight assists in the championship. Um, Emmy obviously got, got big numbers that year. We won the league very comfortably. Um, me, Timo and him up front were were causing pretty much any championship <laughs> team nightmares. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we, we got promoted and we won comfortably. So, you know, after the first six games that we started the league badly, you know, me and Emmy came in and we, not saying we really asked for that, yeah. but, but, you know, two creative players in the championship playing the way that we played in the Premier League against the good teams, you know, you can imagine. I think we beat Huddersfield at home 7-0 one game and I just thought, you know, this is too easy. This yeah. is just too easy, us playing here. Um, obviously that summer obviously the, the, the numbers Emmy got were crazy um, so he obviously left for Villa at 40 mil um, and when he left there at that point it was like, like we're not losing you as well do you know what I mean we're not we're not going to lose both we're now back in the Premier League and I had zero zero want to, to leave at that point because I thought I'm going to play every week there's no there's no need for me to leave I'm back in the Premier League so so at that point when obviously there were clubs knocking on the door I remember sort of reading Newcastle Leicester, teams like that, even Liverpool were being linked with you. Were those like which teams were interested? Yeah, um, I mean it's it's something I've never really spoken about because I have a mild bit of embarrassment towards it because 
like you say, everything was so public and there was so much interest sort of on on the papers, on the news and bits like that. It's like sometimes I would, because I said to my agent when I first signed with my agent, I said to him um, that I didn't want to hear rumours. I only want to hear if someone's genuinely interested in my services because obviously, let's be honest, I could create a rumour and it could probably gather traction because I know the right people and you could just make it up. So, like I said, it was a my phone was busy that that summer and it was it was a, there was a lot of genuine interest and there was a lot of potential offers and there was genuine offers and then there was you know um, there was bits that you know sometimes in football you need someone to leave a club especially after COVID to get someone else in because teams were worried about when fans were going to be back and yeah. um, it was a there was a big team in Germany which was immensely close um, I was waiting on that and. That didn't that didn't manifest, and um, I'd spoken to them. I'd spoken to them directly. I'd spoken to the sporting director, and I thought, was that Dortmund? You know, this is a career changing. Uh, no, it was Munich. Oh, Bayern Munich. Munich. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they, and, they they had conversations with the club. Yeah. Um, they had, well, they had made contact with the club. They had mm. made obviously contact with my agent at the time, and I had had conversations with them, and it, it felt. Um, it felt almost too good to be true, you know, one mm-hmm. good season in the Premier League and I thought, you know, wow, it's crazy. But um, yeah, then obviously I had I had that sort of a week before the window shut kind of disappear in front of my eyes, which was tough. Um, and then I had other offers late and that's like I say, you know, when, when the manager and the, the, the door slammed at that point, you know, that was when it's like, right, the championship's here, let's go and attack it and let's go and, go and prove people what I can do. Yeah, so Todd, how is that mentally? Like again, you're a young player living your dream, all the attention, all the newspaper articles, all the formal offers. Like, what does that do to you? For because for a lot of people, that's like overwhelming. Like, wow, this team wants me, that team wants me. It must me be sort of difficult to comprehend. Yeah, immensely, immensely. Um, I remember, you know sat at home one night after that season and I, I thought to myself, you know, I love Norwich. I'm from Norwich. I love that football club. Um, and very quickly, I was always I was always aware that it could very quickly be spun because of interest, because of the character, because of the long blonde hair. You know what I mean? The, the, the narrative can always be spun because I love the club, but if you're getting offers and, you know, he's not starting the first five games in the championship, why is he not starting? You know, people start going, oh, his head's there, his head's this. There's a lot of things that happen at football clubs that you just can't ever imagine happening. And you think, you know, you're, you're sat there, you're speechless, as in you come out and say something now, you're screwed because you're under contract. You come out and say something after, you're screwed because you don't know when you're going to bump into that person again. You know, managers get sacked all the time. So you come out and say something and, you know, sporting directors and it will come back and it will bite you. So you're always advised against it. But you do sit there a little bit, a bit helpless. And, you know, you are a bit overwhelmed because, you know, like I say, a young lad from Norwich, you know, had one season sort of living his dream. And at that point, that season was just living my dream. That was all it was about. It wasn't about anything else. Um, and then to be having these phone calls, to be sat on Zoom calls, and you're thinking, wow, like, is this what football now turns into? Is this it? Do you know what I mean? So it is really hard because your family can't advise you because they've never been there either, you know, and you rely so heavily on, on agents and you know, let's be honest, agents earn money from transfers and from, from moves. So are they always trying to advise you the best way? Are they trying to get you to the right club for you as a player? Or are they trying to get money? Mm. Um, and you just literally have to go, right, I'm all in on the agent. You just have to back him because, 
the family and that you haven't been there before. Do you know what I mean? Because mm, I remember we had during that COVID period, we had Stuart Webber um, on the platform. We sort of had like a pub debate. I'm not sure if you saw it. Obviously, I was saying that, listen, Todd, I rate him in a similar sort of category to Jack Grealish at that time. And he was sort of saying that Jack Grealish is worth like 70 million. I was like, Todd's worth 40 million. Sort of thing. You know, don't you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. We had like a, I'm not sure if you saw it, but were these the people you were like communicating with when you were trying to get the move? Yeah. Um, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, me and Stuart never had a relationship. So that's probably quite weird to some people because he was sporting director of a club I was at for three, four years, you know, while he was there. Um, for whatever reason, just didn't have a relationship. Is that um, because I, my, you, you didn't click or you just never really crossed paths? Or what, why was that? Because that's pretty strange to hear. It's a, it's a weird one, I'll be honest. It's a weird one. It's one that being in football now at the age of 25, I look around and I think that weren't normal. That was not normal because my relationship was solely with the manager at Norwich. So Daniel Farker was the one that saw me train and was like, right, why is he not on our first team? And it was kind of, that was that from then. So our relationship always like grew and, you know, he gave me my debut, loads of games. So I obviously grew a very good relationship and whether that's where Stuart felt like he didn't need to have a relationship with me because I was so close with Daniel. Um, but he certainly had relationships with other players. So um, it was always a weird one for me, I must be honest. Talk to us about like, the years after that first transfer window, because I remember at the time, like every single window, you were getting linked. Todd is leaving this window. January, Todd's leaving again. And I think, I think maybe it was 2022. I think it was on um, a match day. I think you were in the championship. There was a match day and there was interest about Leeds, um, you know, making an offer to bring you to the club. So was that concrete? How close did that get? Because you were left out of the match day squad on that day. Yeah, um, no, it was it was close and it was concrete. Um, and that was something that I won't go into the details of because there's a lot of people that still work within these clubs. And, you know, like I said to you before, you never know when your paths are going to cross. But um, for whatever reason, obviously I know the reasons, but <laughs> for whatever reason, they didn't come to an agreement. Um, and that wasn't to do with me. That was to do with the club. So, um Obviously, from my perspective, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of a club that I don't play for anymore or or of a club that, you know, I never actually signed for. So um, the conversations were real and, and the interest was definitely real. Do you feel like your relationship with Norwich became a bit toxic? Because, as I said earlier, every single window, you know, Todd's not happy. Oh, Todd's been left out of the squad, etc., etc. You said that during the transfer window, secrets were flying about at Norwich board level. So how do you assess your relationship with the club? Yeah, it, it, you know, on reflection and obviously being at Rangers now, on reflection, it was a strange, strange relationship considering it was some club that I'd been at since I was 11 years old. Mm. Um, you know, I've done an array of community, you know, service, if you like, I've, I've always been one that would do the community stuff, you know. Um, I always enjoyed it. It was my local city. It was, it was the way I deemed it was. It was my town, not in an arrogant way, but you know, I'm a message to the young boys coming through here that you can come through, you can be expressive, you can be yourself, you can be different, you can have blonde hair, you can drive a nice car, and you can be from Norwich. You know, there's not just London boys coming from Chelsea that can do that. You can do that. Um, 
I absolutely had an amazing relationship with, with the owners, uh, Delia and Michael and the family and the board. Um, they were all immensely proud of me growing up. Uh, like I say, I was always the prospect, if you like. So they were always aware of me. And once I got into the first team, you know, Delia and, and Michael invited my family uh, for a game. You know, it's not normal for owners to do that, you know, to sit there as a local boy, sit with them, watch the game. Um, and obviously with Daniel, my relationship was, was very strong. Um, the academy, the ground staff, the chefs, I loved everyone at that football club. I had a great relationship with so many people, but there was one important person that I just didn't have a relationship with. Um, and I think that's where the, as I like to, to say to you before, the narrative went from, you know, Todd Cantwell loves playing for Norwich. Todd Cantwell loves playing football. Todd Cantwell is an expressive character that we have to advise and, you know, nurture to Todd Cantwell wants to leave. Todd Cantwell's lazy. Todd Cantwell wants his contract to run out. Todd Cantwell wants more money. Todd, Todd Cantwell, Cantwell doesn't want to play for the club ever yeah, again. Yeah. Yeah. Todd Cantwell wants to leave this window. So if he wants to leave, he can go. And, and all of these things, I can say to you now, with my hand on my chest, that I never said any of that. And I never, ever turned around to that football club and said, I want to leave today. And like I said to you, you know, when I look back now, maybe that's something I should have done. But that never came out of my mouth. But like you guys said, you know, you'd see it every window. Yeah, because I remember like during that Premier League season, I know Daniel Farker was there and obviously that like, Dean Smith came in laterwards. I know that Daniel Farker sort of came out and sort of said that Todd, the reason why he's not getting picked is that he's not been training consistently. He's been missing days of training. He's been having personal issues. And I always think when I listen to managers, because we do this podcast and we speak to players and we get to know them, I always think something's happening here. What's going on behind the scenes? Is it a personal issue with you? Is it club politics? What happened? Because I know we recently saw like Deli Ali come out and talk about his mental health. So you never know what's going yeah. on behind the scenes. No, and and I think this is this is the important thing that always surprises me in football. So you guys are obviously intelligent and understand footballers better than normal people because you get to, to speak to them more often. So even what you've just said there, it will blow your mind how many people wouldn't have thought like that. Like so many people will just think, oh, well, if that's what they're saying, then it's true. Um, which is just crazy. But no, you're absolutely right. That There was a lot going on. It's, um, it's a situation I've not actually spoken about yet um, publicly, really, or, or internally, really. Um, I went through an immensely difficult time off the football pitch. Um, obviously, I had everything that happened in the window prior to that. And obviously, at the start of the season, we... We had started the, you know, the second uh, Premier League season, if you like, um, quite badly. Uh, we had a really tough running uh, start. Sorry again, you know, against Arsenal, City, and whatever, and played the first four games. Um, you know, the manager said you're not leaving, and you know, I want you to be that man this year. And he's gone. Do you know what I mean? And I was in such a good place mentally with everything. I was like, look, I wouldn't want to leave anywhere and play anywhere else in the Premier League this season. Anyway, I've got a manager that loves me. I'm going to play a style I know. Um, so. Yeah, I, I had um, a family issue off the pitch where I had a, a couple of weeks away from the training ground, um, which was all green-lighted by the football club, by the manager, by everyone. You know, there's certain things in life that are certainly more important than football. Um, so I had some time away from the football club. Um, I Yeah, I had a traumatic time, but I came back and I was I was ready to, to train. So I trained for the first couple of weeks, um, obviously built up a little bit of a fitness. The manager pulled me and said, look, are you okay? You know, is everything all right? And I was like, look, 
I'm here now. I'm training. I'm training well. We're not getting results. I want to play. I'm I'm happy to play. Um, I had I think ten days of like solid training, and it's crazy because this is a this is a good amount of time ago. But you know when something hurts you or scars you, yeah, it's very yeah, like yeah. ten day. I know it was ten days training. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, I had a good block of training, and uh, the manager left me out um, of the squad after having that conversation, and then having a good week of training. Um, so I went to see him day before a game, which is a bad idea. Don't go and see a manager day before a game. Um, I just said to him, look, Gaffer, like, you know, I've spoken to you. Um, I've told you that I'm in a good place to play here. I know my training levels. I've trained well. Why am I not in the squad? And he didn't really want to speak to me, if I'm being honest, day before a game. And I kind of thought, OK, OK, OK. So after the game, they had lost 1-0 at home to Brighton. Um, and uh, I got a text from the assistant manager just saying, you're in the uh, you're in the under twenty threes now for the next couple of weeks because uh, your fitness isn't right yet and you've got personal issues going on. And I was like, what? Like, firstly, we've spoken about this in the sense of you know you know what's going on. It's not I've not just made something up. Um, and I've been training, so kind of I was bemused. I almost thought this can't be true. Um, <laughs> then it was backed up obviously by by the sporting director and. It was the downfall of my time at Norwich from there on in, really, because I spent in the end maybe two to three months in the, the under-23 setup, um, which was after what I had achieved at Norwich was barbaric. Um, and I felt like I had all my respect, all my... Um, sort of honour. Yeah, honour, honour, achievements yeah. just stripped away from me. Do you know what I mean? It was like mm-hmm. bad eggs. You know, like it, it was crazy. Um you know, to the point where I wasn't allowed in the first team changing room at these times. I wasn't I wasn't allowed at the same time in the first team. And I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've not done anything. I'm not stupid. I'd never put myself in this position in football. You don't go against the manager. You don't always say how you feel because, you know, you offend the wrong person in football and you're in trouble. So it was, it was a crazy narrative that got spun immensely. And like I say, your voice is just taken away from you at those times because say the wrong thing, you times it by two. Say the right thing you feel better, but it gets worse. Do you know what I mean? The, the whole situation was, was so immensely difficult. Um, and then the manager got sacked and unfortunately my issues didn't really change. I don't think the decision to have me there was all the manager. Um, I think it came from somewhere else as well. And ultimately my time at Norwich sort of fizzled into into a, a bad place really, if I'm being honest. Dean Smith came in and it wasn't the manager that was going to get the best out of me in the way that Daniel played to the way that he played. Um, so I went to Bournemouth, um, started really well, started bright, did some really good bits, um, got COVID down at Bournemouth in a really bad time, oh, got yeah. an injury that an injury that had I had had for a little while, which I had ignored because I was out and I was playing again. I was happy. Um, it came at the worst time, and it was at the time at the end of the season when they needed me and. Um, you know, I had an 11 million release clause when I went to Bournemouth, which was with a year left and, you know, I'd not played for a full season. It then started to look like, well, they said to me when I first signed there that they wouldn't activate that. They would negotiate after. Um, and then obviously Scott Parker left literally two, three, four games into that Premier League season. Um, and, uh, I don't think that he, he wanted to, to spend loads of money on on players at that point. I think he maybe knew that the former squad wasn't going to be enough to stay up. And then 
obviously they got a new owner, big investments, and obviously the club's doing great now. So, because mm, like circling back to Norwich, I always remember a game. I'll never forget it at home to Aston Villa. I know you started it, then you got subbed off, then I know you like yeah. sort of went down the tunnel. Was that a mm. sort of culmination of all the emotions that being with the under twenty threes, not being happy with the situation? Was that all it coming to a head? Oh, 100%. That was a boil-up moment for me. I went down the tunnel. Um, I felt wrongly subbed off at the time, but maybe my performances weren't where I wanted them to be or needed to be because there was so much that was going on. Um, and, do you know, at that moment in time, I remember I remember walking down the tunnel and just thought, nah, this, this isn't it. This isn't... And, you know, like, when we talk about the highs from playing in the Premier League and championship winning the titles and all of that like I said to you I felt like everything had been stripped you know there was no respect for me anymore there was no it was like you were a new signing that they got on a free and it didn't really matter if it worked out do you know what I mean if it didn't work out it just didn't work out it wasn't this lad came through the academy he's dedicated his whole life to this football club he's won two championship titles at this football club he's done immensely well in the Premier League at this football club this is how we're treating him there was none of that it was just that Todd Todd's, Todd's different. We can treat Todd like that. Todd wants to leave all the time. Todd's yeah. tired. Todd doesn't want to train. Yeah. Todd this, Todd that. And you're speechless because you're still contracted at this football club. That's what people don't understand. They're like, why didn't you just say what was going on? Why didn't you say I was getting treated? And I said, I was contracted at the football club. What do you think? Like, There's all sorts of legal things that can happen when you do that. Um, obviously, looking back now, you know when you get your voice taken off you, I don't know if you ever had that. You're, like, My voice got removed. Um, and I wish it didn't and I think if I could go back now it wouldn't have but it's hindsight isn't it you're younger then and in terms of like from a from a mental standpoint like how bad did it get for you like was it one of those ones where you were thinking you know what I need to seek help I need to go for therapy like how how bad did it get from from a mental standpoint yeah I mean Obviously, what I said to you guys, and obviously I won't go into the details, but the family trauma that happened was enough for me to be in a bad place and enough for any normal person to be in a bad place. You know, losing a family member is not good for anyone and everyone knows that that can be immensely difficult. Um, there was other issues that were going on at the time, but then to be in them moments and you open up and you tell people you wouldn't normally tell, aka the football club, the people in charge, you, you're instantly vulnerable, right? Because you've told them something that is a vulnerability. For me, the bit that hurts me the most now in like reflection, which I didn't see at the time, was how you can open up that vulnerability and then almost get a dagger in the back as you walk off because it was, go to the 23s, you're not mentally there right now. And I was like... So that sensitive you know I mean? piece of information was sort of weaponized and used against you, basically. A hundred percent. It's like, look, we're not winning games that's not important for us right now actually no yeah you fit this agenda let's flip it there you go go on I've had enough Do you know that's how it feels and that's how it felt at the time but now on reflection it's like like I'll be honest to answer your question without swerving it you know I, I was while I was in the under 23 setup and you know I was playing under 23s at 16 so to be 23 24 and have done what I've done at the club to be back there um not to be building fitness it was never for fitness um there was times at home and I just, I'm going to quit. Just in tears, just, I'm going to quit. Quit football. I've got enough money. Quit football completely. I've got enough money. I'm good. This is draining me. 
I need to be here for my family. They don't need to be worried about me. You know, the one thing that I don't think everyone understands in football is when you're, when your family genuinely support you and genuinely care for you, you're, um, in this example, my downfall and, and my kind of, the way I was being treated, they felt helpless as well. And they obviously knew the truth and obviously were also silenced um, the way we were advised was to be silent. So obviously when you're a player and you play on a Saturday and you, your family gets to go and watch you play in front of 30,000 people and everyone says they love him and oh, he's amazing. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, and it's something I thought about after was my family had nothing to look forward to for me. So it's like, it's all doom and gloom. Where's the light? Where's, do you know what I mean? There was no, there was no way out. So I thought for me at that time, and I'm glad I didn't because I've I've literally had the luxury of falling in love with football again. But at that time, it was like, this is my only option because I'm so unhappy. And I cannot let, I, I would advise anyone, if any job makes you feel like that, please don't do it because it's not worth it. Do you know what I mean? It's not. Um, but there's something with football and, you know, the beautiful game, as you call it. It's That's the name of the podcast. The beautiful game is called the beautiful game for a reason, guys. Mm-hmm. Right? Like everyone falls in love with it. It doesn't matter what you do, what job you do. You know, there's something about football that just grabs someone, and you know, it grabbed me at the heart from from a young age, and you know, I ultimately couldn't turn my back on it. So. While this was happening, I know you mentioned earlier on in the pod that you had a great relationship with Delia and the family. Did this ever get to a point where you sort of escalated the issue and started to like try and get in contact with them? Uh, yeah, yeah, it did. Um, like I say, not many people know this, so this is uh, this is new to a lot of people. But um, listen, I'm past it now, and I feel like I'm past it. I, it's not that I don't feel like I can say it. It's more that. I needed to get to a point where I felt like I was past it because it, it dragged me down for a long time. But no, I did. Um, and the way that football clubs have run now, and especially the way Norwich was run, it, it wasn't it wasn't really fair to kind of involve her, if that makes sense. I informed her of what was happening, but I also didn't expect anything to come from her because it's not really her job. Um, but I wanted her to know that I hadn't turned my back on the football club the way that it was kind of presented, probably presented to her. Um, because that just felt right for me, for someone that showed a lot of faith in me from a young from a young age. So in terms, we'll just move forward past the Bournemouth. Then obviously you're back at Norwich because, as you mentioned, they didn't sort of exercise the um, clause because there was an 11 million pound escape clause. So then you're back at yeah. Norwich. So what's the sort of mood there? Because I know I believe David Wagner came in. So was yeah, your, yeah. Was your yeah. situation past being resolved? Then like this wasn't anything to do with David Wagner you knew your time there was coming to an end. Exactly. So obviously at the end of that Bournemouth season, um, Norwich uh, extended my one-year extension that they had on my contract. Um, obviously knew that that wouldn't have been agreed at that point after everything that had happened. So that was the power that they had was to extend the contract and obviously try and get get a fee at that point. Um, and Dean Smith pulled me into his office at the start of that season. Obviously they'd been relegated and they kept with him and said that almost that he was like, he wanted the best out of me. And if this team needs to do well, it needs a player like you to play and play well. And I just said, I feel like I'm past it. I feel like I need to go. Um, and to be honest, he was he was pretty keen on keeping me at that point. Um, and like you say, as, as the championship season started, the horror started again. And it was like very quickly, no, this was the wrong decision, but the window shut and... 
you know, at this point, it's difficult because now you've gone to Bournemouth and it looks like it didn't work out from the outside. There was a lot that went on inside, but it looked like it didn't work out. So then you've got two clubs that now, you know, he's an issue, he's a bad egg. You know, obviously Bournemouth didn't didn't say any of that because obviously it wasn't true, but it then obviously got to, like you say, Wagner came in and by the time he had arrived, I one of my first conversations with him was, I'm gone. Like, there's no chance that I can buy into another plan here. Like, a new manager coming in is not going to re- resolve my issues because my issues go above this. So, um, I wish you all the best type of conversation as opposed to, is there, it, was, it wasn't, it was and I think he must have been informed that that probably wasn't the case as well. Um, my agent had obviously spoken to the club and said, look, in this January, we'll find a solution because he has to leave. So obviously, like, your position became untenable at Norwich. So then obviously in that January, you moved to Rangers. How yeah. did that How did that move come about? Um, it was very much from Michael Beard, if I'm being honest. Top um, man. Top, I had, top man, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. So I had, um, I had a few options and a few options. The way I'll say it to you guys about saying any names, I had what they say in football, the money option. Um, which everyone goes, oh, why did he go there? Do you know what I mean? I had that option. <laughs> so um, where was that? Was that? It wasn't Saudi. Saudi went about then. Six months old. You never know where you're going to end up. So gonna, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, <laughs> so you have the money option and then you have like, at that point, the football option. I thought, well, if I didn't quit on football in the darkest of darkest times, I'm not going to, I'm not going to quit on it now. So I, I chose the footballing option. Obviously, I spoke to Michael um, and Ross Wilson, who's the sporting director here. Um, and I had conversations and, and a bit of back and forth for a couple of weeks. And, you know, after speaking to the manager, I met him in London and I spoke to him and he was so passionate about football and he was so passionate about Rangers and he was so passionate about me. And I think I hadn't had that in a little while. And it was refreshing for me to have someone that was like, do you know how good you are? Like, do you actually know how good you are? Because, for some reason, you don't seem to know or feel like you're that person. And you are that person. And it was like the money option, which was England <laughs> around up here. Um, and then it was the football option. And I thought the way he sold uh, Rangers to me is exactly what it is. So what exactly what he said to me it was going to be is exactly what it is. It's beautiful, but it's a madness. And if you enjoy the madness, you'll be beautiful. And it was like, yeah, right, it's the right thing to do. So I spoke to him and, you know, decided it was the right thing to do. And, and yeah, I, I signed about two weeks after the first contact. Yeah, because I know you went there, made an initial impact. You scored six goals from sort of like the January to the end of that season. And yeah. I was thinking that, wow, Todd has been Fuck. rebirthed. He's yeah. been revitalised. You see the smile yeah. on his face. He's getting the ball. He's doing what he wants. He's <laughs> playing like someone with purpose. Like someone that can get yeah. to the level where everyone sort of expected you to get to. So talk to us about joining Rangers and joining that big family because, again, no disrespect to Norwich, but in terms of history, infrastructure, I would say Rangers is one of the top 10 clubs in the UK. Oh, yeah, no, no. That, and, and you guys will obviously be able to sense my love and respect for Norwich is immense. Yeah, yeah You know, I've, I grew up there. I loved it. You cannot compare them as football clubs. Um, you know, Rangers still to this day surprises me just how big of reach it has and how big a football club it is. Um, 
obviously we're in a real tough moment at the moment and it's really difficult. Obviously we, we lost our manager and, you know, we've started the season probably the worst way you would have wanted to as a player. So it's such a difficult moment at the moment, but this football club is huge. Um, the reach, like I say, the support, it's immensely intense. But if you enjoy it, it's amazing. Like, I honestly couldn't think of a better place for me to have gone because I had the opportunity with a fresh start, you know, with the fan base and with, with a manager at that point that really wanted me to be there and wanted me to do well. And the fans literally saw how much I wanted to be there and how much I wanted to do well. And it's like, we just fell in love, like, straight away. Um, and that sounds a bit romantic, but it's true because, yeah. you know, I posted at the end of last season saying I've I've had the luxury of falling in love with football twice. And, and obviously you guys now understand how close I was to, to removing myself from yeah. the game. Yeah. That actually it's like, that, that now makes sense. Like, if you saw that post now, you'd probably have to speak to me go, wow, that's powerful, you know. Mm. Talk to us a bit more about Mick Bill because everyone that we've spoken to um, in the game has nothing but great things to say about the man. His man management, his football brain, his tactics, his philosophy. So give us a bit more of a deep dive into him as a man manager and a tactician. Yeah, no, um, obviously he brought me to the club and I was I was very thankful for that. Um, but you know what, he he's... A manager, obviously, I've only had four or five managers, obviously, England managers, six, seven, whatever. I haven't had loads and loads. But if you go right through academy to now, I've not had a manager like him. Someone that, as a professional footballer, as an adult, treats you with the same respect he would treat a 50-year-old with that was his best mate his whole life. He treat, he treats everyone with respect. And, you know, the, the relationship I had with him was was amazing because... He brought me to a massive football club and he told me to go and express myself and you are the free role. You are the man that, that will drive us forward. You you can be that guy here if you want to be. Um, but the thing that maybe surprised me after obviously what I've explained to you guys about like my past and football and how politics and everything gets involved was how he separated that. This is a football club. You're a footballer. You do that. You're not happy? Come and speak to me. Let's talk but not come and speak to me and I'll use it against you. It's come and speak to me and let's work out how we can get the best out of you. How's things at home? How's things with your life? How's it, how do you find living in Glasgow? Do you want to meet for a coffee? You know, things like that that you wouldn't expect from a manager. It's like, he rang me, he rang me one day, um, not long after pre-season, once we were back and said, um, I've just had a call saying you're driving too fast in your village. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, like really? Because, I don't, I don't drive fast. And he was like, yeah, someone rang me and said um, that you were driving too fast in your village. Anyway, what are you, what are you doing this afternoon? Did you want to meet for a coffee? Are you back up in Glasgow, obviously? Did you want to? And I was like, I, I came off the phone, like smiling because I'd had a laugh. And I think this is my manager. <laughs> yeah, like, this guy. isn't my boy. This is my manager. Do you know what I mean? So that's a manager to me that when he says what he says, he backs it up with his, his actions because he said to me, he will always treat me with respect if I treat him with respect. And he always said to me, you give me 100% on the pitch and I'll give you 100% off it. And, you know, I've got no shame in saying that, you know, the manager knew taking me from Norwich, I'd always been at Norwich. He needed to give me days to go back at times. And he would do that and he would come to me and say that. And do you know what, honestly, the respect you get from a player acting like that towards a, towards a manager is, I would have done anything for him. If he asked me to play right back, I'd have played right back. And the, the Todd Cantwell who's the attacking player and all that, I genuinely would have done it for him because I have that much respect for him and I can't say I've ever felt like that about a manager. 
Wow. Uh, yeah, I echo your words. Everyone we've spoken to, I think Mick is from like a cancer estate himself. He came onto the podcast like two years ago and like obviously we keep in contact with him. Top, top, top guy. I think he gains yeah. joy in sort of getting players that are maybe written off and saying, you know, I see something special in you. I can sort of yeah. change around your fortunes or help you to change around your fortunes. And I think him, Harry and the team, obviously like we saw the news recently last Sunday about what happened, but I think they're top people. And I think he's just had one year in management, one full season, a bit with QPR and with Rangers. So I know that he would definitely sort of bounce back from this. Oh, completely agree. Completely agree. Like I, I'm not just saying this because of my relationship because I didn't even speak to you about tactics there. I didn't even speak to you about what he's like as a football manager. That was just a person. I would be so, so, so surprised if he isn't a top, top manager by the end of his managerial career because there's no way that you can be the way that he is and it not work out. Like that's from my experience in football so far. And like you say, you know, I've obviously seen quite a bit and I've been around a lot of different characters. He, he and his team, like you mentioned there as well, like Harry and and Neil and Damo, like they're, they're good people. They care about you as people, but they are good coaches. They want you to get better. They don't just want to say it. They want you to get better. Um, and I honestly believe that, that, that Mickey will have a top career in football for sure. Do you mind giving us some insight into the sort of dressing room on the 30th of September after that defeat against Aberdeen, which was obviously Mick Bill's final game for the club? How was the sort of atmosphere in the dressing room? Was it one of those ones where Mick said, guys, look, this is the end of the road. I'm going to lose my job, et cetera, et cetera. So can you just give us some insight into that last sort of game? Yeah, no. Um, obviously, with my injury, I had uh, I'd been having some treatments. So I wasn't actually at the game. But obviously, it goes about saying, I was just spoke to the lads. And um, I, think, I think certain things that I said in football should stay in football out of respect for people. Um, but... From my understanding and, and obviously the information I will give is that, you know, you could hear a pin drop in the changing room. I think it was one of those moments where, and I don't want to speak for people, but it's one of those moments where any word is going to be received wrong. So even if you were to say, this was rubbish, do you know what I mean? Any word, someone's just going to jump on it. Do you know what I mean? Just something, just basically silence is the best remedy for this because anyone speaks now and someone's going to lose their mind. Yeah, no, no, hey, because... Again, I know Rangers through the summer, heavy investment, around £10 million was spent, nine new signings. Obviously, you were the first signing of Mick Bill's era. And I know Rangers fans, they're very knowledgeable, very passionate. They love their football. And obviously, they would have had a, a lot to say. And I know there's a few players that they've obviously singled out for criticism. But obviously, I know you can't comment on that. But I want to talk yeah. to you about how difficult it's or how challenging it's been to sort of mesh the whole, you know, new bunch of players together to, like, produce a cohesive team. Has that been challenging? Yeah, it, it has. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that, that Mickey at the time would have known was going to be challenging because, like we said, you're not just bringing them to a football club, you're bringing them to a, a massive, massive football club, a massive establishment which demand wins in every game that they play in just through the sheer size of the club. Um and, you know, from, from, from a lad that plays abroad um, in different leagues and stuff, I don't know because I've never played there. But I can't imagine it replicating very, very similar to what it's like playing at Ibrox because the fans, the feeling, like I said to you before, the way I see it is very, very straightforward. You either thrive in it or you don't. 
Like there isn't really an in-between. Do you know what I mean? It's either you get it and you love it and this is me and I, I honestly, I cannot wait to get there or you don't. And with any of these new lads, it's far too soon to say that because there's language barriers. There's manager now has, has lost his job, the one that brought them in. There's so much um, uncertainty and, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult because it's not, it's not like, and I've said this to a couple of new lads, it's not like just moving to England because, you know, moving to England, for example, moving to Norwich is a lot softer on new players than it is at Rangers because, like I say, there's this expectation of winning every game. And the, the new guys, it's probably hit them like a ton of bricks. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, oh my God, like we lost the yeah. first league game and yeah. the world's come apart. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I've obviously not been here that long, but I understand that that cannot happen here. So it doesn't matter who you're playing against. And every team that you play against is one thing that people probably don't accommodate for is it's everyone's cup final against Rangers. So Aberdeen coming to play us at Ibrox, like that's their big, like them and Celtic, that's their biggest games of the season. So they, they don't just play it like a normal game. They play it like a cup final. You play against Livingston, you play against um, St. Mirren. They, you know, every single team wants to play there. Do you know what I mean? They want to be at Ibrox and that creates a different challenge. You don't get that in England. Mm, obviously, I'm, you do at the big, big clubs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Man United, obviously, of course you do. But I mean like championship or, you know, teams like that. Yeah, because like the fans, they expect instant results and obviously like new players have come in and you've got penultimate games in September, the Champions League game against PSV. Then again, at home to Celtic and obviously you lost both. And I think that's when the feeling from the fans sort of turned and sort of said, you know what, basically our season's over. Like we've lost to our arch enemy, we're out of the Champions League. And obviously I know the game was against PSV, was what, like 4-5-1. So that's obviously a bit of pill yeah. to take. Obviously you were part of that game against PSV. Talk to us about that experience for you as well, because that's new. Champions League, you know, a winner bus game, playing under loads of pressure. How was that experience? Yeah, no, it was... Uh... It was obviously something like as a kid you dream of. It was obviously a big pull in coming to Rangers was playing in Europe. Um, obviously, you know that if you don't qualify for the Champions League, um, you qualify for the Europa League. So every lad wants to play in the Champions League. You'd be lying if you said you didn't. You know, it's an amazing competition, just like the Premier League. Um, and it hurt a lot because we drew 2-2 at home and thought, you know, I thought we've got a right chance here. Like these are a good team, like a very good team, and PSVR. Obviously, they've started this season. I don't think they've lost a game in the league yet. Yeah, that Bakayoko um, guy, I've been looking at him. He looks, he's a problem. Yeah, man. he's sharp. Yeah, yeah he's sharp. <laughs> they, 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 honestly, they've got real, they've got real good footballers. And it was one of those games where everything went wrong for us out there, and everything went right for them. Um, you know, pull back would just fall perfectly and just hit on. You know, everything that went wrong went wrong. Scored a known goal. It was. And I think, like you say, you can lose that game 1-0 and the, the perception's probably very different. It's like, oh, Rangers just missed out. PSVR are a good team. and Do you know what I mean? And then to lose 5-1, it's like, wow, they got they got hit hard there. And, you know, that that sort of result going into the old firm on a Sunday, um, you know, everyone felt it. Do you know what I mean? Everyone felt it. And, you know, everyone was looking forward to playing Celtic because what a great opportunity to play them as like a rebound. Mm. Um, and I, I feel like in that game, it was so disappointing because, we were the better team for large parts and we gave away a goal that we shouldn't have given away and, and all of a sudden you've lost. You know, they, they didn't come to Ibrox and, and batter us and, you know, but again, it doesn't matter here. If you lose that game, you've lost that game. 
you could be absolutely smashing them, hit the crossbar six times in a no game. No one cares. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Lost. Even so, like, I remember I was watching it. There was a, I think there was a goal where Dessers nicks the ball and the yeah. player kicks Dessers and a foul was given. And yeah. obviously I know Kamar scored that. For me, obviously, yeah. I thought that was a legitimate goal. But again, those are the sorts yeah. of things that when, when the rain pours, it pours sort of thing, isn't it? But that's what I mean. I mean, you talk about obviously the manager and Mickey and stuff like that. You know, we win that game, and I think the perception's different. Um, and you know, football it changes really quickly. Um, so although everything seems incredibly doom and gloom now, you know, at the end of the season we could be looking at a very different picture, and everyone go, "Wow, can you remember at the start of the season how tough it was?" Um, so I think it, it makes people, and you know, ultimately, um, you know, the club and and Mickey obviously decided that 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 wasn't the right thing for them to do anymore and you know that's really tough for me because obviously it's someone I had an immense amount of respect for but it is football and you kind of get to a certain age and you understand that there's a lot of decisions and stuff that just you know go way above your head as a player and you know uh, you, you just got to especially at a club like Rangers you've just got to be ready to play the next game and, and get a result regardless of who's in charge of you it shouldn't matter. Now I was going to say talk to us about your sort of relationship with the fans like how difficult is it to play in front of them when Results ain't going your way. Ibrox is booing you off the pitch at half time, full time. How difficult and how hurtful is that as a player? Yeah, do you, do you know what it is? It's actually really strange because um, I never thought I would come to Scotland and play football. Um, obviously, what we spoke about earlier in the, in, in the podcast, you know, I never thought I would come up here. And that's not me being arrogant at all. That's just, I didn't see that as an option. It was never someone, you know, I'd never even heard that these teams were interested. It was it was nothing like that, do you know what I mean? So it wasn't personal. It, the moment I've arrived to this very moment now, I feel like I've been a Rangers fan my whole life. It's so weird. Oh, yeah. It's honestly so weird. Like, And it might sound like, oh yeah, of course it does. Yeah, he has to say that. He plays for him now and all of that. <laughs> I, I promise you, however long I play here, right, which as a footballer is definitely out of your control, I will always follow Rangers 100% because the club to me and like I said to you, it's been immensely powerful and it has made me fall in love with it again. And there is a big expectation, there's a big pressure. I love it. I love it because I, I know that me going out there and giving myself 100%, and me going out there and playing the way I want to play with a little flick here, a little trick, they love it because they love football and they love people that care. So if you, if you can do both, and obviously you can't play well every game, that's obvious, footballers can't. But if you do both, you've got this connection and this connection for me right now it feels unbreakable I feel like I've fell in love with the club and the fan base and I feel like it's replicated yeah so like I know with Rangers there's a lot of maybe like I don't know off the field politics there's legends that talk about the game that have their view there's Chris Boyd there's Barry Ferguson that like to talk I know like you and Chris Sutton have maybe had a running back and forth <laughs> as well like what, what's your thoughts on Chris because obviously he's had a lot to say <laughs> you wanted to ask me that, didn't you? <laughs> um, no, look, I'll be completely honest, right? So my stance on this is is very clear. So you have you have like pundits, you have ex footballers, and their life's completely different now, right? They don't they don't have that opportunity to play anymore. And I can't speak about what it's like to be an ex footballer because I'm obviously still a current footballer. There's just one thing that I can't really understand when it comes to pundits that used to play football, which is jumping on players or. What I would call what Chris Sutton does is an attention seeker. I, I find that very yeah. bizarre because, mm -hmm. yeah, because if you if you had a good career, why are you sat on Twitter hammering into a lad that 
you had a, an interview with and said you're an amazing person, amazing player, and you're back at Norwich and think that he just forgets that. So for me, it's like, this isn't even real. What he's doing is playing up to, obviously, his links with Celtic. And, you know, he's he, he needs to stay relevant. And that's sad for me, because if I'm an ex-player and I'm on Twitter tweeting a 25-year-old trying to stay relevant, for me, I'd look at myself and go, yeah, what am I doing? Do you know, yeah, I'm, that, But yeah, that's just me. Yeah. I don't know what he, he's sat at home doing. But for me, it's like, why are you so interested in Todd Cantwell? Why are you so interested in Rangers? Like, you played for Celtic, fantastic. <laughs> Support Celtic, do you know yeah. what I mean? Tweet about Celtic every day. You love them, that's fine. But for me, he just, he frustrates me. And the reason I've had a couple of chomps and I've not chomped on, I don't chomp on much is because he spoke to me at Norwich and he told me what a fantastic footballer I was. Mm-hmm. The world's at your feet, Todd. You're a great guy, Todd. You know, all of this. And then I find for Rangers, it's like, oh, um, yeah, I just forget everything I said before. Right, I'm gonna start a feud with you on Twitter. I'm like, mm. what? Yeah, it's, it's playing up to the playing up, yeah, playing up to the gallery. <laughs> so even you mentioned, talk to us about the the rivalry with Celtic because it's one of the most sort of spoken about derbies. Like obviously we're based in England, and even though we're we're here in this in Scotland, we follow it closely. Like those Sunday morning yeah. twelve o'clock kickoffs, oh, we you. always tune in and stuff like that. So talk to us about that. Yeah, it's a game where tactics and, um, you know, all of that go out the window, really. It's a game of just pure um, intensity. And I'll be honest with you, there's no lie, there's a lot of hatred there between the Rangers and the Celtic fans. There's a lot. Um, Way more than I probably anticipated when I came up here. I I knew that that was a big rivalry, but I didn't know how big it was. Um, And effectively, what it is, is bragging rights. So Celtic have obviously... You know, let, let's not lie. I, I'm a Rangers player. I love Rangers. I just told you that Celtic are, are a good team. There's there's no there's no need for me to lie about that. They're a good team, and they're the other team up here that are feared heavily, right? So it's us two teams. And obviously, over the last six to eight years, they've come out on top the most, right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, they've got the bragging rights at the moment. But the way I see it, and the way I see it now that I'm here as a player, is there is definitely a window, and there is an opportunity to to switch that around. And that's up to the players and that's up to us to, to flip it because obviously over the last years, it's been them and, and you know, Scotland and, and everything like that. It's, it's between us two, really. Do you know what I mean? It, it really is. So the cuts, the league. Um, so there's an opportunity and there's always an opportunity in football. Every time you get a game, there's an opportunity. So for us, it's our responsibility and our, our target is to flip the bragging rights around. Um, but in terms of, the derby, I don't, and I don't know how any could be bigger. Yeah. Since I've been in it, I'd, I'd be surprised if I went to another football club and, and someone said, you've got a derby, and it's like, oh, this don't feel like a derby, because that derby is crazy, I'll be honest. So, like, you've had a few games against them, maybe, like, three or four, and I know, obviously, you came on top in one of them, but obviously, I know the league yeah. was effectively done by that point. Yeah. So, do you think, I don't know... It, is it purely mental? Do you think, why do you think Celtic have maintained that advantage, would you say? Yeah, I think it's really difficult to comment so early on into my Rangers career, obviously to talk about the past, because I don't know the past and I don't know the past players. I only know the, obviously the group we've got now and the group they've got now. So I, obviously I can't comment on, on the past, but it's a really difficult place to go to their place and play a game of football. 
because obviously right now as well, we, we're not allowing fans at each other's stadiums. So you're isolated, you're there. Um, and from what I understand and what I hear, it's very difficult for them to come to our place and play. Obviously, we beat them 3-0 last year. You know, they can't do anything right. The fans are jeering, the fans are giving this, they're giving that. For some players, that's a lot, right? And even for someone like me who loves it, and I love the atmosphere, I love all of that, I think it's so important for football. You have a pressure, right? So you have a pressure. And as a player, sometimes you can have a good day and sometimes you can have a bad day. Like I said earlier, you can't always control what comes off your feet. You can control your work rate, but you can't control what comes off your feet. And sometimes there's different, you know, you might not slept so well the night before and no one wants to hear it. None of it matters. It's who wins, right? So ultimately we've come out on the wrong side of that a couple of times and we've made mistakes and, and we've done things that we shouldn't have done. Um, and like you say, you know, we've, we've lost. So at the moment, silence is the best treatment because I can't sit here and say to you guys, you know, you know, wait until the end of the season, watch what happens because the past would suggest that that, that won't change because the recent past has been them. Obviously overall, Rangers have won the most, right? They're the most yeah. um, successful club in, in, in football. So, what we're trying to do as players is not to talk about what we want to do, to try and action what we want to do. Because if I'm sat here and I'm sat on this and, you know, I'll be a meme at the end of the season if I say, oh, we're going to do this, we're yeah. going to do that. Do you yeah. know, can you remember when that clown spoke to them about, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, they'll be clipping it up. Yeah. I've learned up here, 100%, the one thing I've learned up here is be smart because, yeah, you can be ambitious. Yeah, you can be excited. And I'm not going to lie to you and say I hate playing. So I don't. I look forward to it. I want to play them. It's almost in a weird way, which is difficult to do, is a compliment to them mm. because they are a team that you want to play against. And if you're a team you want to play against, you're a good team, right? So for me, it's like I respect them and they might not think I do when I play them, but I respect them because you have to. I've, I've been brought up to, to learn respect for everyone. You respect everyone, right? Mm. But I want to beat them badly. Mm. It's, it's interesting because even like, when me and Dedra making the journey up to the studio, we were talking about like the situation at Rangers. And do you almost think like it's amplified because Celtic are doing so well at the moment? Like they're in the Champions League, they've started off the league flying, whereas Rangers are like, wow, we're already X amount of points behind. Whereas if Celtic probably had a slow start, do you think Mick Bill probably will still be in a job? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. No, it's a massive thing, perception up here for sure. Okay. Um, you know, because even ironically, like what you guys have said there, and I, and I wouldn't necessarily expect you to of how good the Premier League's been, but if you'd have watched Celtic's game so far, for me, I think they haven't started probably the way they would have wanted. Um, and they beat Motherwell 2-1 really late on yeah, and, and bits and pieces like that. So they've not been flying. So for us to not be doing so well is almost like a double hit for us and the fan base because it's like they're not even beating teams 5-0, which yeah. sometimes you'd expect. And we're losing at home to Aberdeen. Do you know what I mean? So it's like a double amplifier. Like you said, it's like it's all blown up. Um, the difference is, is that Celtic did win 2-1. So regardless of how well they played, they won. And like I said to you before, up here, it's about the result. It's not about the performance. Mm-hmm. So like I say, respectfully, they're winning more games than us. So they deserve to be above us. Do you know what I mean? That's just as a footballer. That's not as a fan or a player. That's just, they deserve to be above us right now. Mm, so talk to us about the Rangers dressing room because I know there's a lot of like senior players that have been there for a while. You got Tav, you got Goldson, you know Jack Butland's had like a great career. I think he's come to Rangers and sort of rebirthed himself against PSV. He was you know fantastic. Yeah. Didn't deserve to be on the losing side. So what sort of 
um, message to the fans can you say about the, the dressing room collective? Yeah, no, Jack's top. Jack's top on the pitch. Jack's top off it. Like, he's someone that, you know, has obviously had a lot of experience in the game. He's someone you immediately respect. But um, the players, that everyone is top. So for me personally, like I said to you before, I don't want to talk too much about the changing room and how good players are and how nice it is. And you, I don't want to talk about that because right now it's going really badly. And it's probably as bad as it could be at the moment because even the result yesterday. Um, so as I speak to you now, it's very much actions. It's not words. So I think we have a team and a group that are definitely good enough to achieve top things at this football club and go down in history. Um, action in it is something different. But I know from myself, which is obviously the only person I can speak for, is that I will give 150% to make sure that that happens this season, not next season, not the season after. Um, you know, the moment I'm fit again and I'm playing, you know, I will give everything, which I think I have done prior to that. But, you know, as a player, that's all you can really ask. And I think with the quality we've got, Jack, Tav, Connor, that should be enough. If everyone's given 100 and everyone's playing well and we all have those good days when we need to have good days, it should be enough. Um, but like I say, we're not we're not up against a team that's rubbish and is just lucky to be there. They're a good team, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. not going to sit here and pretend they're not. So we, we will have to be good to to beat them and we'll have to be at our best to, to win things, just like they have to be when they play us. So it's our responsibility, really. Mm, there's four competitions that you're left in. You're in the semi-final of the Via Cup play, or Via Play Cup, should I say. And obviously Celtic yeah. are out of that, so that's a great opportunity. Obviously, no disrespect to the other teams, but when Rangers play yeah. against them, you're the favourites. Mm. And obviously you've got the Europa League, seven points in the league. It's still early, so there's still a lot of football to be played. Yeah, there's loads of games. I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think someone said the other day there's like 30 games to be played or something like that in the league. So the league's by no means over. Um, and like you say, the cup competitions and everything, like I said before, there's a lot to play for this season. So I don't think any fan wants to, to listen to this and say, oh, look, he's talking a great game. You know, he's saying this, he's saying that. They're just want to, going to want to see action. And I think that's what they deserve. So all I can say is my message to the fan base and to any fans that want to watch this is our responsibility is to give you 100% and our responsibility is to try and achieve everything you want us to achieve. And don't for one second think that we're not trying to do that. So, Todd, in terms of your fitness, obviously you've been out since, obviously, the Celtic game. What sort of message can you give to the fans? Because there's a lot of talk saying after the international break, you should be sort of back in the fold. Is, is that correct? <laughs> I can see the little <laughs> smirk in your face. Hey, you guys are getting a lot of insights here. <laughs> a lot of insights. That's how you know I like you guys. No, no, no. I've a long time and here no, I am. Two, two years, two, two, three years, years. two years. <laughs> But no, listen, the, the plan is definitely to be back after the international break. Um, it's not been as smooth as I'd have liked. And, you know, there is a few complications, so I can't make any promises. Mm -hmm. But um, the plan is definitely to, to be back and to be fit for the Hibs game after the international break, yeah. I'm probably pushing my luck a bit, but have you had any sort of insight into the potential new manager? Because, you know, I think rumours um, emanating in the last few hours is that Frank Lampard is almost like the front runner for the job. Have you heard anything about that? Um, no, but if I had, I also would say no. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, Todd. Um, what else was I going to say? I was going to say, um, yeah, man. Like, what, 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 yeah, let's move on. So Todd, I think you've given a fantastic um, insight 
um, in regards to like life on the pitch, your journey so far. So thank you for being um, very transparent and open with us. So we just want to move on to a little segment about, you know, your life outside of football. What does Todd Cantwell get up to? Um, Todd is a very much a family man. I like to spend time with my friends and my family. I've got what I would describe as probably quite a small circle, but it's an important circle. Um, so I, I spend my time wisely with people that I don't regret spending it with. Um, I like to play. I like to game. So I'm I'm into Twitch, NBA. Twitch. I'm into FIFA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've had a little dabble in Twitch, but I need to set up properly a few technicalities at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I'm I'd say I'm quite a fantastic person to be honest. I grew up in Norwich, you know, I didn't have loads of different cool things to do. So I found peace with, you know, going on walks, you know, headspace. Um, you know, I I do, do quite a lot of like I say, simplistic things. But um no, I'm I, I enjoy my time off the pitch, but ultimately what I do off the pitch is so that I can be the best on the pitch. I don't tend to do things that are gonna um affect what I do on the pitch um, it's easy for me to say because I haven't lived in London so you know if I lived in London I played for a London club they would be out every night you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but do you know what I mean so yeah. for me yeah I, I try and keep it I try and keep it chill yeah when I see Todd I always think more than a footballer you're, you've got you've got like this creative flair you're a brand like what sort of stuff are you into in terms of like fashion drip music you seem like someone that's, you know, of the culture. Hundred. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. No, it's um it's obviously what we spoke about before. It's like the mold is slightly different. Um I don't purposely try and be different. I just I just like to express myself and kind of be true to me. So I'm into a lot of American American rap, a lot of American artists. Um I love basketball. Like basketball's just one big vibe. Like I just think the pre match, the the way they turn up all sourced up for the games. That is crazy. I think it's unbelievable. I, I want to try and get that in football. Can you imagine if like people had the opportunity to see some dry drip flying around? I'll be honest. Some dry drip. You see like, players but, in the um, NBA like, having chicken wings. Like, yeah. The band is different. They're just being themselves. That's what I mean. But they're still top athletes. And yeah, they still yeah. do 100 in the gym. Do you know what I mean? But mm. it's like, it's the American way of thinking, isn't it? Like, let's express ourselves. Let's not be judged on what we look like. Actually, you know what? Do do you? And then Jimmy Butler go and hit thirty five in the night, and it's like you are him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas here, if you turned up in your own in your own clothes and thought, oh, that's out there, and you had a bad game, they go, this guy's dry. Get him out of it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's just different, isn't it? It's yeah. just the culture. But um, no, I love I love my fashion as well. I love I love being into that. Music's a big one for me. Music, I love music. Um, loads of different artists that I'm into and. You know, I think music's really powerful to like dictate your moods. But I feel like it can get you up for a gym session, but it can also let you chill. Do you know what I mean? You can go out to music. You can then chill in with like. It's just, I think music's so powerful. I love music, man. I think slight tangent. I just wanted to ask you about like settling in Scotland. Like, how's it been for you? Like, can you walk in the city centre? Do you get mobbed by Rangers fans all the time? No. So how, how how is it like managing that sort of notoriety in the city centre and in Scotland? Yeah. Um, the way I see it is you support one or the other. So you're either a Celtic fan or you're a Rangers fan. Mm. That's the way I see it at the moment. I've not bumped into someone and they go, oh, I support Motherwell. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so it's Rangers yeah. or Celtic. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of tell with the eye contact. So you get like a sparkle in the eye or you get like a, 
I hate you yeah. with your eyes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, I know who you are and I don't like you sort of look. So do they, is um, that, do they say that verb? Do they communicate with you verbally or is it just eye contact? Yeah, they, don't they, like uh, you. They try it. I haven't put myself in loads of situations mm. to kind of be vulnerable, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if I was to just wander through Glasgow now with a GoPro, I'd probably get some absolute immense love from the Rangers fans. When are you back? We love you, all of this. And then from the Celtic fans, it would probably be a lot, a lot of, um, of beeping out yeah. uh, to sense, to sense to viewers. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but I haven't really opened myself up to it. I found a nice spot. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been sort of in the training ground, obviously I'm injured, but I've been in the training ground a lot and I've spent a lot of time obviously at Ibox in the training ground. And, you know, when you're there and you've got your club tracksuit on, it's your responsibility to, to interact with the fans and you know honestly I can say for, for our fan base anyway like, I think the fans have been really good um, really supportive and all they really want is just the best for the club and I think as a player you can understand that mm, I usually ask players about off the pitch in terms of investments because players are fortunate to have great careers and football does great for so many people so do you invest in I don't know property stocks or any other things are yeah, no, I, I've I've dabbled in a few little things, some trial and errors. Um, some things are a lot more safer than others. Um, but the one thing I've been really lucky about with my family is I believe I've been very well advised and, you know, I've gone um, very low risk with my investments and the things that I've, I've kind of planned for. Um, as you guys obviously mentioned a second ago, I feel like I'm quite a creative person, so I've put a little bit away for one of my creative ideas when I start to finish football because I've got a few. Um, so, so yeah, no, I think I've been well advised. My mum's on to me about about that. And uh, if I tell her how much a, a jacket or something costs, she rips her hair out. So I just, uh, yeah, I'm smart with that. Yeah. And in terms of like social media abuse, how do, how do you deal with that? Do you, have you ever received that? Yeah, I, I get it all the time. I'll be honest. I, I feel like I'm that, I'm that easy target, but, it doesn't bother me at all. So and I know like, that sounds like probably quite a weird thing to say, but you just mm-hmm. build up such a tolerance. So is this like via like Instagram or is this Twitter? What platform do you mind? Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Like I don't even really use TikTok. I just sort of like scroll on it. And then I see on Twitter, I'm like TikTok Todd. And I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, But no, obviously some things, some things get quite nasty and quite malicious. And, you know, that that's where I think the line stops because some people... Some people don't know how to deal with that. All I'd say is like, if you're just a normal person living a normal job, doing a normal thing, and you had a hundred people message you saying something quite abruptly nasty, that would affect someone. But it's almost like as a footballer, you just build up this tolerance to be like, it's irrelevant. Like what you say is literally irrelevant. Um, but if I was to forward those on to, to someone else, they'd be like, oh my God, why on earth would you send me that? Like, that's horrible. Like I'll be reading these all night thinking, why has he sent me that? Do you know what I mean? But luckily, and luckily, as a footballer, you have to deal with it. Do you know what I mean? So but it's is, kind of like that, but, get but on with Todd, it. is that is but is that the right mentality? Because I was listening to um, a podcast today, Kevin Prince Bolting, and he was talking about you know the sort of like social media abuse that he received. People saying that, listen, I'm going to find you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to rape your wife, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So like, should you just get on and deal with it? Why aren't this getting reported to the police and that kind of stuff? This is, well, this is for me, obviously, again, I can only speak for me. Like, that's where the confusion comes in for me because it's like, can they find these accounts that don't have a face and don't have any followers? Like, is there enough 
that social media platforms do to protect people from that sort of abuse because it is abuse and obviously you talk about like the racist abuse and all of those parts as well it's like hang on you can't just log on and say whatever you want and just log off like that's that's not how it should work that's not fair that's not it so i think there's so much to be done i think social media is such an important and, and positive place but it can also be such a horrific place for people that should not have voices to be able to say what dark twisted things come to their mind because for me I see that and like I said to you there like I just look at it like I just get on with it mm. but that's me and that's where my mind's taking me because I'm so used to it and it doesn't affect me but for some people that's not it and some people are like you know hang on you can't say that to me like do you know what I mean so I I I think there's so much more that should and could be done for social media and I personally don't understand why it doesn't and why you don't give your driving license and all of that when you sign in for Instagram so everyone knows who's who because you've allowed a platform for people like me and you like we all know I could just go and make 10 accounts tonight and just message your account <laughs> and just say whatever I want yeah. and you won't actually know it's me yeah. because I could just have a completely different name so it's like and for that side of it I just think it's ridiculous but it's kind of like I said to you at the start it's like a footballer just almost has to get used to it it's weird yeah Todd I see you as someone that's very creative um, you're like a freer spirit. Have you ever had in times in your career where managers have tried to rein it in, like, don't wear this, don't do that, this is a bit too much, that kind of thing? I pretty much had that my whole career, apart from Michael. Okay, I pretty so, much had that my whole career. So what sort of things were these, I don't know, players or managers sort of say to you, to like, and you're thinking, hold on, like, I should be able to do what I want? So obviously at Norwich, like, I laugh and joke, but it was genuinely questioned what car I drove. It was genuinely questioned what I wore. My hair was definitely questioned. Um, and for me, it was something that I always felt like, you can't tell me that. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? So I'm glad I felt strong enough to be like that because some people wouldn't have been. But I was like, this is me. Judge me on what I do on the pitch. And if you're not happy with what I do on the pitch, fine. But don't judge me for what car I drive. If I want to drive a Ford KA, I don't want you saying, oh, come on, you earn all that money. Why are you driving that? Mm. Same way as if I drive a Urus, I don't want you saying to me, you earn all that money. Why are you driving that? Mm. So it's like, actually, no, that has nothing to do with you. So judge me on my football, fine. My hair might be too long for you, but that's because you can't grow your hair. So don't, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? Don't, yeah, yeah. don't worry about what I'm doing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If Focus it's an on, issue and yeah. I'm turning up and I'm going, oh, hold my keys for me, or, you know what I mean? I'm coming out and I'm just slipping 20 pound notes out of my pocket, then yeah, come on, like, bro, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, have some respect if you have earned your money and you've you've worked hard and you've given it everything and you dedicated your whole life to that surely you're allowed to enjoy it if you can't enjoy it who can yeah. do you know what i mean if you 100%. can't then who can i think todd final one from me um is in regards to drug testing in football i think yeah. you know this is something that we're trying to shine a spotlight on because i think it's very important to give you know fans a, a sort of insight into it and Obviously, today the news broke about Paul Pogba. He's um, B sample, you know, yeah. came back positive for testosterone. So, what sort of measures are there in in the game in terms of drug testing? Well, has anyone spoken about this before? Because I feel like I almost shouldn't speak about it. But I don't know. Is is it hidden? Not like do you know what I mean. Obviously, to you guys, you're not in football. But has anyone ever? Have you asked anyone else that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We spoke to like our last guest. Um, he was like an ex-Man United player. 
and he was sort of talking about how you know clubs randomly the agencies will come in and test players and sort of that kind of thing yeah no so I mean I'll just say the truth and the facts I, there shouldn't be an issue I'm sure so you can basically as a football you can get tested at any point like any point someone could turn up at my house now um, so there's lots of different ways they test you and there's pretty much zero way you could get away with taking anything you shouldn't mm. however the blurriness is that everything so I could take a limb that's made from Tesco's right and it could have something in it contaminated that could be banned yeah. yeah yeah. so it could have something in it like I don't I don't actually know like medicine very well so bear with me but like something that might boost my adrenaline or something that might boost something and it's like I took a limb bro like what do you mean so you actually have to send what you buy medic medicine wise to a doctor to okay it so it's, it's kind of crazy I'll be honest it's like you can't just go and perfect example so I had an immensely sore throat on holiday once and uh my mum had some cross um sweets in her thing and my throat was like honestly it was like you know when you swallow and it just feels like it's pain it, it yeah, yeah. I had one and there was three something and I was like what are they and she was like so she got them out and they were like the suvers or something like that yeah. and uh I was like, I can only take strepsils, mum. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, let me text my doctor. Text my doctor. And he's like, no, yeah, you're not allowed them. They're banned. And I was like, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was out and I was like on holiday and I was like, oh, my God. So I had to go to the like 40 minute taxi or whatever. It was in the middle of nowhere. I had to go and get some, some, some stuff. And, you know, you had to buy the specific stuff because you don't know. Obviously, they could turn up on holiday. They could turn up at your front door. You generally don't know. And I've had very spontaneous tests before and you're like, wow, like they, they could literally turn up at any point. So um, that for me is where it feels almost a bit harsh because like you could generally take something that was like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't get me wrong. I know some people be smart with that and be like, oh, I was taking that because I thought yeah. it, and they might know what it's doing. Yeah, yeah. But from more of a naive point of view from like me, like saying about a cough suite, for example, yeah. Like, I'm sure there would be leniency towards that if it was, like, backed up with evidence and, you know, one-offs and blood tests and whatever. But it does feel like that can be a bit harsh. But it's um, it's put in place so that people can't cheat the game, right? Because yeah. the people and the fans want to see people that give 100% and care and do all of that. So I do understand why there's drug testing. I do. Because you're, you're, you're role models as well, right? So 100%. you can't be going out at the weekend sniffing this, that and whatever and then turning up and expect to be 100% in training and, and bits and pieces. So, you know, you could have a fan day the next day and, you know, this guy's this guy's not well. Like, he's taking drugs. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you are a role model as well. So I, I do understand that. Yeah, well said, Todd. So last one from me. I want to talk to you finally about your career. You know, you had a great start. You had a bit of a murky middle. Now you're coming into your own, showing a great sign of form that you're getting back to your best. What would you like the rest of your career to like look like in terms of like honours, what you want to achieve? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's for me, like, I feel like that chapter of my career is gone. I feel like I'm, I'm a lot more mature, um, sensible person than I was then. And, and I think I have more of a backbone now as well. So I know that moving forward, you know, certain situations won't develop the way that, you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't want them to. So, for me, I want to achieve as much as possible. It sounds really cliche and lots of players say it, but I want to be an England player. I want to play, I want to play for the national side. Um, 
right now I want to play for Rangers and I want to I want to win some trophies because it's so important up here it means so much to the people I want to be a part of that um, and obviously naturally I want to be a Champions League footballer so you know I want to play in that competition and obviously I have I have a big desire to get back into the the Premier League a league that I really enjoy playing in and a league that you know I grew up as a kid watching every single week so listen you can't you can't click your fingers in football and be where you want to be. There's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of very good footballers out there. So you're not just playing against yourself. You're playing against the thousands of young players, the thousands of people abroad that all want to go to, to the same club. So for me, I've got to concentrate on myself. I, I believe in myself. I know what ability I've got. I've been around a lot of good footballers and I know where I sit within that. So for me, the words are, the words are almost like a waste. I need to, to action it and, and show people what I'm about for sure. And Todd, the beautiful thing is that you're only 25, so you've got a large chunk of your career coming up, man, and we wish you the best, bro. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. 100%, Todd. It's been an absolute pleasure. We have a closing tradition on this podcast where we ask, Mm -hmm. you know, the guest that's experienced the sort of TBG treatment to recommend a potential guest in football that will be a good fit for this platform. So off the top of your head, who do you think will be a good fit to come on to the Beautiful Game podcast? Off the top of my head, hmm. to be honest, guys, I'll be I'll be completely real with you. This has been really easy. This has been really easy. So anyone that struggles talking, or I think in football as well, you have a lot of players that don't like to talk to people. Like they almost feel like it's a vulnerability to talk about their career. So I think you guys have pre- presented a platform that makes it really comfortable. It feels like we're just having a chat. So even halfway through that, I thought, oh my God, this is on camera, this is being recorded, so watch what I'm saying. (laughs) But to start start with, I was just like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, you know, we're just chilling, I'm just talking. Like you said, you know, obviously it would have been a lot better to do it in person. I'm sure we would have um, gone out and had some good food after, but it's, it's it's really easy to talk to you guys and I've actually really enjoyed it. It's like I say, it's the first time I've said quite a few things and, you know, I wouldn't have said that if I didn't feel comfortable speaking to you guys. Um, and I made you guys wait long enough. So, <laughs> no, I love for that, Todd, that man. It's, lot, it's, it's been a, we're trying to create a safe place for, you know, professionals in the game to feel comfortable to, to speak and speak honestly and candidly about their career. So we appreciate you, bro. No worries. No worries. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, we're definitely going to stay in contact. So yeah, I think that's, don't worry, we'll pick off the guests with you off air. So we're going to leave it there. That's another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. Until next time, over and out. Peace. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.